0: This is Lab Medicine Rounds, a curated podcast for physicians, laboratory professionals, and students. I'm your host, Justin Kreuter, the bowtie bandit of blood, a transfusion medicine pathologist at Mayo Clinic. Today's a special treat we're rounding with Dr. Bill Maurice, professor of laboratory medicine and pathology, chair of the department of laboratory medicine and pathology here at Mayo Clinic, and also president of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. Also really relevant for today's conversation, he is chair of the American Clinical Lab Association. Today, we're talking about laboratories' role in health and equity and why it's so important. So thanks for joining us today, Dr. Maurice.
1: Oh, thanks for having me, Dr. Kroyer. A very timely topic, so I'm, I'm delighted to be talking about it.
0: Absolutely. So this might be kind of a little bit of a perspective shift, something that we're not used to thinking about as much in laboratory medicine, or maybe at some levels, it's something that's been very much part of the conversation for some time. The audience is very wide. We've got clinicians, we've got students, we've got laboratory professionals that that tune into this podcast. Could you start us off with, why is health equity important for laboratory medicine and pathology?
1: Health equity is an issue that was a real boilerplate issue prior to the pandemic, has really highlighted the dramatic inequities in healthcare distribution, both within this country and globally. And the important role of diagnostics, of course, in managing and responding to the pandemic has really highlighted the role of diagnostics as part of that equation, which we can get into. The interesting thing is that it's not a new topic. If you go back and look, the person that many of us think of as sort of the godfather of modern pathology, which is Virchow, actually was very passionate about this issue. He did a study of a typhus outbreak in Upper Silesia, part of Poland that had coal miners. They they were kind of the lower socioeconomic group in that country, had really dramatic impact there because of the living conditions and their access to care. And so he started writing about this and becoming passionate about this over well over 100 years ago. So interestingly enough, it might be a new topic right now, but it really goes back to the founding of pathology.
0: I love how you tie this in, really, to the birth of our specialty. This is something that is entwined, and I like also your highlighting that it's really this diagnostics effort. This has been around for a long time. You're saying even before the pandemic, this was a boilerplate issue. The pandemic has really heightened a lot of these issues. So what are we learning about how, as a laboratory, we may better advocate for health equity?
1: There's a few really important lessons that we are learning, like many of the lessons taught by COVID. Difficult lessons, but ones that we really have to pay attention to. So one, and I actually wrote a T3 blog post, I think on ASU's website, Arizona State University. If you look by zip code and in places like Boston and New York City, where they've actually studied this, you can see an inverse relationship between poor outcomes for COVID-19 and access to diagnostic testing. Because you know they were tracking by zip code the frequency of testing, and you can see that in areas that had poor outcomes, there was less testing. Of course, those tend to be lower socioeconomic groups. Why this is so important is that if you think back to when we really were first responding to COVID and thinking about testing, tracking, and isolation as a a key public health approach to managing the pandemic, what that meant was that in areas that probably had closer living conditions, also had more people in service industries that couldn't work remotely, you actually had less testing, right? And so then you have more spread of disease and also in areas where they had less access to healthcare. So it really just showed how the lack of good access to testing was really undermining what we wanted to do to protect those who were actually most vulnerable to poor outcomes from COVID. So I think that has really catapulted the whole issue of testing and how we use testing back to the forefront of the healthcare disparities discussion.
0: Now, if we unpack this a little bit, it seems like this data you're talking about, it it highlights The lack of testing, and then how that's so central and such a driver of many of aspects of health and equity. It seems like it's um, a—I don't know if it's one of those wicked problems, right? It's very complex. It's not just more testing, but what's the nuance there that we need to grapple with? Not just more testing, but I guess better testing.
1: Yeah, and, and access to testing, right? I think there's really two things that we have to start thinking about as a laboratory community, and one is with COVID and the big push for home testing, just look at the rat last wave with, with Omicron and the massive investment in engine testing is that, and thinking about app-based, you know, apps that you can use and companies like Q, you can you have a box in your home, is that to really be thinking about not just getting those to where there's a quote, business case, but to where there's a social case for access to those tests, right? How can we start thinking about it in, in a digital world where there's more access to diagnostics? It really falls on our profession to be the voice of, just like every laboratory, in the hospital we think about where we need hospital clinical labs to support care. When we start thinking about the digitization and the building of remote diagnostics, we need to be really thinking about where those diagnostics are gonna have the biggest impact and really advocating for that. Case in point, why do some of those lower socioeconomic groups have poor outcomes to COVID? Because they have a higher frequency of comorbidities, like diabetes, and things that really could be managed effectively if there were better diagnostics early on, so you didn't have patients end stage disease. So really thinking about what can diagnostics do to help people as we go forward in terms of prevention and well being becomes then really important because we have to advocate for that for our patients. Um, that's number one. The other is just really understanding why people wouldn't want to use a test, and again, and that means how that information is used. Because what we found is that even when some of these testing clinics were set up, and we've seen this both in the U.S. and globally, as I've been participating, the other thing I did, I actually worked with the World Economic Forum on a group looking at access to COVID diagnostics globally in low and middle income countries. And you talked a lot about, hey, we could use these tests to keep people from going to work when they're sick. Well, they might have a whole household, depending on them going and being able to drive a truck across the border. They're not going to want to get tested, right? Really also thinking about how we influence policy in a way and that's where the American Clinical Lab Association is important for me, is how do you think about policies that can help support people wanting to actually get access to the test? Because it's the whole milieu But going full circle. is Our profession is really, it's not just about doing testing, it's about thinking about all these issues that surround testing.
0: You bring in a lot of really neat opportunities. You've been able to see this problem from a couple of different perspectives. You're talking about changing this from a business case, and I think that's what a lot of us are typically thinking about because we're justifying our actions to switching ourselves to thinking about it from a social case. That that might be kind of new for some of these efforts, I guess. Are, are there examples of how we can do this better from other professions that we can learn from? Well, really other professions and other groups. One of the things that was really gratifying
1: for me was Wale from our diversity equity and inclusion group actually is very active. I think he even leads the local chapter, the NAACP. So getting out there with community groups as a laboratory and talking about how tests work, what they can tell you, what they can't. So really actually, I think a real opportunity for us is to think about community engagement, which is not something we typically think about in lab medicine. There's a lot of groups that are really good with this because it's really a understanding the, in those different communities and cultures, how testing is perceived and then being able to help advocate for that. So I think that's one area. And of course, actually your area, transfusion medicine, probably any area in DLMP with blood drives and other things, that community engagement is more part of the fabric of your division. We have to start thinking about that, not just for transfusion medicine, but really for laboratory medicine. How do we do that? I think that's a really important one.
0: Join us for Phlebotomy 2022, performance, public health, and people in a post-COVID world to be held via live stream April 21st through 22nd, 2022. Visit MayoClinicLabs.com forward slash 2022 phlebotomy for more information. Switching also to the policy, you mentioned to really kind of untangle some of these I love the take that negative perspective on that of why wouldn't somebody do a lab test and then how that really gets to some of those policy challenges that we have. Is that something that you feel like your previous experience as a hematopathologist has prepared you for or these additional skills that you've picked up along the way? I think a little
1: bit of both. In essence, really it all derives from what drew me into lab medicine and that is how do we create information? that's accessible and actionable for patients and providers, right? That's really the mindset. And how do you make sure that's high quality? How do you make sure that it's understood? That part is natural. Now thinking about how people outside of our profession, and we spend a lot of time just in medicine, right? Explaining this even to people that are using the labs that are other physicians and providers. So then you have to take that and think from an even bigger scale, how do you make that understandable for people that aren't in healthcare, right? It's a big challenge. I think things like your podcast, thinking about how you communicate issues outside of healthcare is an acquired skill and one that you can learn by doing. So that's probably the new skill set. One thing I've learned in leadership, it's all about timing. The timing is critical because for the first time, there's an awareness in the highest levels of policymakers of some of these issues and a desire to address it. Their ear is attuned to a voice. Case in point, Going back, there have been massive investments. You read in the papers about the White House buying 500 million engine tests. And I read that and think about what difference is that really going to make? I mean, if it's just people that can afford to go to Walmart and buy the tests and know what they want to do with the results, it's not going to get us where we need to go. And I think there is a frustration from policymakers about why isn't this making a difference? We've always been about the why. We just had to make sure we're helping with the right questions. But we're the right people to do it. I'm convinced of that.
0: I love this. You've mentioned a couple of barriers that have been in the way. Can you take the listeners through what are two or three ways that we here are trying to navigate this for increasing healthcare equity?
1: There are a couple of ways. One is some of the community engagement work through Wally and others and just getting out there. And I don't want to say it really is listening before talking. So really listening and understanding. I mean, that's, Goes back to our Franciscan values. Of course, St. Francis was that was his it's better to, to understand than be understood. So I think under getting out there, hearing voices of people that maybe aren't showing up to a Mayo clinic, aren't showing up to healthcare facilities, understanding why, understanding what some of those barriers are. I think that's one thing that we're a lot of us in Mayo are doing, a lot of people in healthcare are doing. That's really first and foremost, just like when we're in the lab. We are really thinking about the patient. We're the person in the lab and at our microscope, getting a product ready that's thinking about what does that patient need? We're the voice for the patient in that process. Now we have to be the voice for the community in this process too. So that's one thing that we're doing. The other is that with Mayo is really one of the things that we've been very active with is actually forming partnerships with diagnostic manufacturing industry, with companies like Thermo. Because ultimately, the manufacturers of these products have to understand how they're going to be used or not used. And again, if we are have, don't have a great sensitivity to that, many of those companies even less so. So I think it being stepping outside of our offices, stepping outside of our walls, and really starting to think about a whole ecosystem that has to exist. From digital tools, to the right tests, to the right kind of follow-up actions that are needed. We have to do all this. And there's different areas of lab medicine, infectious disease has always had and Micro always has had a strong presence in public health right so thinking about the things that are natural connections and how do we start to amplify them I think that's the other thing that we're really thinking about now that we weren't a couple of years ago
0: you she brought up kind of partnering with the industry that's developing diagnostic testing. What does that look like? Can you kind of unpack that for a little bit? Because I can imagine some of our listeners might, they hear you say those words, but what does that look like? What kind of feedback can a pathologist provide that helps them build a better test?
1: Sure. I'll give you a couple of real tangible examples. So one of the things that have been around really, I think, started right around when I started my job in 2015 as department chair, which hardly I've been in this role that long. These things that devices that could draw blood without a needle that you could send to someone's home. There are a few companies that are out there. Early on in the pandemic, we thought about the potential for serologic testing. So we actually just talked to the company, said, can you send us some and we can test them? And we had a group, including Dr. Pritt and some others that actually tested a few of them and just found something that would make it really problematic to use them. And you start thinking about especially if they're complicated, you can give that feedback back. And some of these companies now are thinking about, wow, we can't just make this device. We might have to have a call center. We might have to have a video link that can help someone understand how to use it. And then also saying what you actually need from a specimen type to be able to use it. If we need to quantify, you know, dry blood spots, something we have been around for a long time, it's very difficult to get like a quantitative serology off of a dry blood spot. So you start talking about, how you'd want to use it, and then they can start a whole conversation. So those are some of the things that I think that's kind of how that goes. But you'll find out that oftentimes they just don't have a lot of those conversations naturally. So they're often very appreciative. Even if it's just like, we want to use this in our community. Can we get some exposure to the technology? Can we talk to someone on your end? If we want to roll it out, say, to work with it. A lot of this is, again, very specific. So it might be work we've done in the past with migrant workers. So you start to think about some of those things, right?
0: I think that you're helping our listeners kind of, you know, don't shortchange this role of the pathologist where we have expertise, where we got one leg firmly planted in the laboratory and the other leg firmly planted in the clinical practice. And to understand that we often hear what are those pain points on getting a test accomplished. And that's something that's very valuable to manufacturers. And that collaboration is what I'm also hearing in your answers, actively reaching out helping to develop this will hopefully result in something that's going to be much better for patients uh, in the long run.
1: Oh, absolutely. And thinking about that, we have that expertise. And how do we start to apply it for the long term so it makes a real difference in these issues? I'll take you back to one of the early days. So it's probably late March of 2020. And I'm sitting in my office at SDSC right around midnight, just trying to get through things and get through my emails because of the onslaught. And one of the emails that I get is from someone from a, one of the, the Native American tribes here in the state of Minnesota with a desperate plea Can we get some COVID testing? We have a lot of elderly, we have a lot of people with healthcare conditions, and we have a lot of communal living and just really a, and no testing whatsoever. And so I brought that back to Scott Beck. We got really passionate. John Haywood at Mayo Clinic Labs has helped a lot with this. But you realize it takes a sustained effort. I mean, it's not something that can be built overnight. And we can't lose that now. We're all going to want to forget about COVID. But now it's been two years, right? And this, everyone's burned out on COVID. But the reality is, for us in the labs, we have our foot on both sides, as you, as you say. And we know the issues. And it's just applying those in a different setting. I think it's more long-term work. But it, overall, it's the right thing. And it, makes such an, it can make such an impact for people, even just simple tests and having access to them. That's an experience I'll certainly never. That's really, for, after me, I was like, wow, that's important. And I think if there's one thing I can share with the listeners is that that experience relatable for them. Because it is easy. It's easy to become sort of near to it because we're two, we're two steps removed. But we're so important in terms of coming up with the right solution.
0: Absolutely. What I'm hearing in your answer too is, is this concept of we don't just learn from experience, but we learn by reflecting on experience. And I think what I hear you say is, you know, Yeah, everybody's excited to get past and hopeful to get past uh, COVID and (laughs) kind of close a chapter. But like you're saying, there was a lot of innovation that came out of this period as well and lessons learned. And it would be a shame not to learn those lessons and carry that forward into the future.
1: Yeah, I agree. And and, I mean, just for the listeners, you probably know more than you realize and have more to contribute to the solution than you realize. I mean, certainly for me. They're just very, what we would almost think of as quote, simple questions that really need to be addressed. So don't underestimate your ability to really make an impact on this, even though it seems like, wow, lab testing and healthcare equity, how am I ever going to affect that? That's such a huge problem, right? So, and I think the pandemic means that there's a receptive ear and there's a real chance to make a difference.
0: So let's just zoom out. I've got one final question. Based on what we discussed here, taking this optimistic future view, what does the future of health equity look like? What does that laboratory support of health equity look like in the coming years? Well, how it will evolve,
1: I don't know. I think that the ideal future state that we should be working towards is that no matter what community you're living in, that there's enough education and awareness of the kind of tests that you need to be doing to understand your health and the knowledge around that result to help you turn into something actionable. Whether it's even something as simple as you might have prediabetes, here are some healthcare choices you can make. Here are some things you're doing in your community. Maybe we even go back to community groups and say, we need more healthy food options in this area as a for instance, right? So it's a system whereby an individual can create data around their health It's really actionable and helping them lead healthier and more fulfilling lives. And at the same time, we're taking all that information and understanding where we need to make societal changes or policy changes that give people a more healthy environment to live in.
0: That's awesome. We've been rounding with Dr. Maurice on the laboratory's role in health and equity. Thank you so much for being here with us today.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. Anytime.
0: So we're definitely going to link. Dr. Maurice mentioned that he wrote a blog. We're going to be linking that in the show notes. And if you'd like to hear more on this topic, be sure to register for the Phlebotomy 2022 Conference, Performance, Public Health, and People in a Post-COVID World. Dr. Maurice will be presenting on this topic at this year's virtual conference that's going to be on April 21st and 22nd of 2022. And for more information, please visit mayocliniclabs.com backslash 2022 phlebotomy. Botomy. To all of our listeners, thank you for joining us today. We invite you to share your thoughts and suggestions via email. Please direct any suggestions to mcleducation@mayo.edu. at mayo.edu. As always, if you've enjoyed Lab Medicine Rounds podcast, please follow or subscribe. And until our next rounds together, we encourage you to continue to connect lab medicine and the clinical practice through insightful conversations.